0: Good morning our scripture reading for this morning is hebrews chapter 13 verses 9 through 14 do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the camp, the gate, in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You guys can be seated. Now the way from the river was rough, and their feet were tender by reason of their travels. So the souls of the pilgrims were much discouraged because of the way. Wherefore still, as they went on, they wished for a better way. Now a little before them, there was on the left hand of the road a meadow, and a stile to go over into it. That meadow is called Bypath Meadow. This is an excerpt from Pilgrim's Progress, and it is exactly the picture of what our text is describing this morning. The way for Christian and Hopeful, the two pilgrims, was rough. Christian and Hopeful's feet were sore, and the two pilgrims were very discouraged at first they were determined to keep to the way but as weariness and discontentment set in they longed for an easier way a better way christian had grown confident he had overcome many obstacles thus far he's been on the straight and narrow path for Quite some time now. He and his traveling companion, Hopeful, have escaped Vanity Fair. They have been vigilant and watchful on the plane of ease. They recognized and rebuked the temptation of Demas. They avoided the perils of the silver mine and took to heart the warnings of the pillar of salt that was there. All these successes on their journey should be cause for ongoing praise to God alone for their strength. But Christian has become too sure of himself. Oh, he has gained great confidence, but his confidence is in his own progress, not in his God. Misplaced confidence always leads to carelessness and forgetfulness. The pilgrims see just to the left of them, a path and a fair meadow. The way of the meadow is softer than the rocky up and down of the straight and narrow. Bypath meadow seems to promise relief to their tired feet. And as far as their eyes can see, it seems to lie parallel with the true path. So enticed by the hope of an easier way, a better way, Christian encourages hopeful to follow him over the stile into By-Path meadow. Bypath meadow is a representation of our own efforts at attaining righteousness. Bypath meadow is lush with pride and filled with the rotten fruits of self-determination and good intentions. Bypath Meadow represents our attempt to define the rules for getting to the celestial city. Bypath Meadow represents the heart that says, I will determine how to live and walk before God in this life. And Bypath Meadow is especially tempting when we grow discontent with the path that God has called us to follow. Bypath Meadow is especially appealing when the true path seems to be too straight. For our liking, and just too narrow to seem fair. The style that leads over the wall represents how easy it is to cross over from thinking highly of Christ to thinking highly of ourselves from putting our confidence in Christ alone to putting confidence in ourself. Christian finds a path that is according to his wish rather than staying on the path that God has marked out by his word. Hopeful sees potential danger and asks, but how if this path should lead us out of the way? Christian, however, persuades him that the path is safe. They cross over the stile and for a time, for a time, Their journey is easier. They even encounter a traveler on the path who assures them that he is also on the way to the celestial gate. This traveler's name is Vain Confidence. And soon, Christian and hopeful lose sight of him and find themselves lost in total darkness. They can no longer see the true path. Self assurance they once had is now gone and they are lost and in grave danger of destruction just a quick prayer father as we come to this passage this morning what we know not would you please teach us what we have not would you give us and what we are not would you make us for christ's sake amen We ended last week's sermon from Pastor Matt with this encouraging reminder in verse 8. <clears throat> Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. That's a great encouragement. He is the same yesterday. In Hebrews 1 2 through 4, we saw that He was active in creation. In Hebrews 4, seven through10, we see him today offering salvation to all those who would not harden their hearts but would turn to him and repent. And we see him in 10:12, reigning forever. Therefore, the author says, as he's wrapping up his letter, "Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever." Before this statement, the author encourages us to listen to. Our leaders. He wants his readers to listen to their leaders. their faithful leaders trusted in Christ and they are modeling Jesus who remains to this day trustworthy. And I believe that he's using verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, as a transition into verse 9's warning. Our text this morning starts in verse 9, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. These strange teachings and those who peddle them are a departure from the Jesus who is the same always. Faithful leaders model and follow in their life and in their teaching Jesus who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, but diverse and strange teachings and those who peddle them will divert from Jesus and not model the character of he who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Your leaders have declared to you the author is saying to the original audience and to us today and all churches to come, they have declared to you the faithful message, this one confession. If you need a reminder of what the confession is, a good place to find that is in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. Paul says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word, I preach to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered, here's the confession, to you of first importance, that what I also received, that Christ Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And God's people said, amen. Amen. That's our confession this is a summary of our confession, and it has been clearly painstakingly laid out for us in the letter to the Hebrews. And he charges us, in Hebrews 10:23, to hold fast to the confession. Hold fast to it. Do not waver from it. Do not divert from it. Do not pass over the stile and walk in bypath meadow. Hold fast the confession of your hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His word remains true forever. The gospel message has not changed, nor will it. The scripture has not changed, nor will it. The mission of the church has not changed, and it will not change until the kingdom of God is ushered in. The church of Jesus Christ has always, always faced... Since its inception, diverse and strange teachings, they've always risen up, and they always will rise up. Diverse and strange teaching have risen up, and they are present today, and they will continue to rise up until Christ puts all things under his feet. In our day, we see clearly false teachings of pietism, the gospel-centered movement, Critical race theory, feminism, intersectionality, sinful empathy, wokeism, queer theory, passivism, and the denial of the authority and the sufficiency of scriptures slithering into the churches of our day. And we can be sure of this one thing: it's the same pile of crap that the church has faced since its beginning. So when false teachers like Andy Stanley in an effort to justify his heresy say that Jesus did not draw hard lines, he drew wide circles, wide circles. We know that this is utter nonsense and complete blasphemy. Why? Because Jesus Christ has not changed and his message has not changed and the word of God has not changed. The Bible most certainly draws hard lines. It's not vague or inconclusive. Why does the Bible draw hard lines? Because its divine author draws hard lines. We just don't like the lines. We like circles. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You see, before guys like Stanley spewed his latest heresy, he had already instructed Christians to, quote-unquote, unhitch from the Old Testament. And unhitching from a portion of the Scriptures, he unhitched from the entirety of the Scriptures. The Scripture reminds us that there is nothing new under the sun, and these diverse and strange teachings of the past simply find new ways to reinvent themselves. And this will continue. It's just a fresh face of makeup, on the same old dead and rotting corpse but we can see through it because we know that the confession has not changed the message of the gospel has not changed and those who are in christ can see it for what it is they can see the wolf underneath the sheep's clothing what big ears you have (laughs) what big teeth you have something's wrong deconstruct the confession all you like but the confession will remain the same try to change the truth or run from the truth but the truth remains the same and that is the only thing that will set you free chop up your body all you like to make it look like the gender that you want but at the end of the day you are still the same say Love is love, but God defines what love is. Call abortion health care and women's rights, but it is still cold-blooded murder. Why? Because God does not change, and his word has not changed. Rage and rise up against God, but it does not matter, because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Diverse and strange teachings have, are, and always will rise up. People's belief in the confession might change, but the confession doesn't change. People change. God does not. And a large part of the New Testament, as you look at it, in the epistles especially, are responses to diverse and strange teachings. The letter to the Hebrews has been written to a primarily Jewish Christian audience who are being tempted, ever tempted, to revert back to the old covenant of works, ever tempted to add to the already full and finished work of Jesus. It's hard for us to comprehend the temptation that this would have been for him, but it was very tempting for the Christian Jew to take up some element of the old sacrificial system in an effort to put padding and safety around the confession. But the author has been clear about this. The scripture is clear about this. Christ is our only hope. Christ is our only hope. That's our first point this morning. That's what he's wanting us to remember, and he's going to explain that to us. Christ is our only hope. His warning here in verse 9 is this. Do not be drawn away from the only means of grace. Do not be drawn away by the only means of grace. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace and not by food, which has not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve in the tent have no right to eat. So what he's saying here is don't be led away by these diverse and strange teachings that are pulling you back or trying to have you add on to, tack on to the justification that you have in Christ because, number one, strange shadow sacrifices cannot strengthen your heart. These these shadow sacrifices in your special menu cannot strengthen your heart. Or we could say your sacrificial system of your making cannot strengthen your heart. Your grace add-ons have no power to strengthen you. They have no power to save. They have no power to sanctify. In fact, they will make you work harder and harder without any lasting results. And here the central concern of the author appears to be doctrines about certain foods. All right? We don't know exactly what the practices were that were being pushed, but we do know that some were holding that their sacred menu would strengthen their faith and make them better Christians. They were pulling back to some of the Old Testament food rituals and believing that if they added that to the confession, that in some way would strengthen their faith and make them better Christians. They were looking to this menu as a, this is important, a means of justification. And that's what we're talking about here now. And this is what the author is addressing. He's talking about the means of saving faith, the means of justification or atonement. They were trying to tack on extra stuff to the work of Jesus. And the author is telling them that the Old Testament tent and its foods cannot strengthen your hearts. Only Jesus can do that. And we we look at this and we say, how silly that is. But we do the same thing. Your Your sacrificial system of choice cannot strengthen your heart, Christian. Your grace add-ons have no power to strengthen you. They will make you work harder and harder with no lasting result. And I would ask you at this moment as we continue on to ask the Holy Spirit, what are my sacrificial systems of choice? What makes me feel more favored in the eyes of God when I do X, Y, or Z? I'll give some examples in a moment. This was no means of justification. And it is no means for us. Those who were under the illusion that spiritual growth could come by following a special menu had not only become ignorant of the necessity of grace for spiritual growth, but they were actually denying true grace that would strengthen them. They were looking to a self-compiled list of extra means of grace in order to strengthen them as a means of justification. It gave them a sense of confidence, like a a safety net or extra padding, just in case, just in case. Just in case as I come into the presence of a holy God, the covering of Christ is not enough. I have my special menu that will strengthen me. As I go out into the workplace, as I, as I lead my family, I do these extra things as a means of justification to make me feel as if God is really pleased with me, instead of trusting in Christ alone. Commenting on this, Charles Simeon says, the importance of this observation would be more strongly felt by a Hebrew convert who was assailed with arguments respecting the obligations of the Mosaic law. But it is in reality no less important to us. For if we do not trust in the blood of bulls and goats, we are ever ready to substitute something in the place of Jesus as the ground of our confidence. Always and ever the temptation to replace Jesus as the ground of our confidence. And their self-righteous attempts to gain God's favor was the very thing that was keeping them from God's grace. It was the very thing that was denying them God's grace. Their self-righteous attempts to gain his favor was the very thing that denied them his grace. We have seen this over and over in Hebrews and all through the Bible that Jesus did not come to save those who think they could save themselves. He came into the world to save what? Sinners. Sinners. And this understanding is the handle by which you grasp God's grace. We see examples of this all throughout Jesus' earthly ministry. Those who were unwilling to give up and follow him. Because they didn't think at the end of the day they really needed him. Because if you don't think you're a sinner, then you don't need a savior. Right? Right? God's grace responds like water responds to gravity. As water flows to the lowest point, so too does grace flow to the lowly in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus says, blessed are those who know their great need for God. Blessed are those who mourn. Mourn over what? Their sin. They will be comforted in Christ. But if you don't know your lowly state before God, and if you don't mourn over your sin, you won't be comforted. And all the things that you're going to try to stuff into that place will not bring any kinds of comfort. You can't save yourself. And once you are saved, ultimately you cannot keep yourself. Only the grace of the Ancient of Days who offers you salvation today can do that. How often, like these people in our text, we try, don't we? We try. Some of you are perhaps trying to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, but you don't have any boots to begin with. What I mean here is that perhaps some of you are unbelievers. You're frustrated as to why your faith is not growing, and perhaps because you have no faith. You're trying to increase your joy, but you have no joy to increase. And all the things that you grab just melt in your hands like sand through your fingertips. Like cotton candy. Over and over you have to eat it because it melts in your mouth. You're trying to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, but you're barefoot. So if this is you, the message of the gospel, I cannot state it any more simply, is the same as it's always been. Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. There is no other message. There's no other confession. All right? I, I can stand up here and do backflips to try to convince you, but that's the message. Search all you want, but the only path is Christ alone that leads to life. Bypath meadow may feel good for a time, but it does not lead to the celestial city. It just doesn't. It will go along the edge for a while, but like hopeful and Christian, it will ever so slowly veer away until the darkness comes and you are no longer on the path facing destruction. There is no salvation apart from the method that God has appointed. Hodge says the denial of the propitiatory death of Christ or his resurrection from the dead is the denial of the full gospel. It is refusing to be saved according to the method that God has appointed. God has appointed a method for salvation. God has a path. Do not refuse the method that God has ordained. So sell your riches. Follow Jesus. Or keep them and go away sad, but those are your options. Now if you are a believer, okay, it's a good thing for you to periodically ask this question. Am I really a believer? That's a good question to ask. Some of you are afraid to ask that because you feel like it's you know, denying the Lord or you're, you're being weak in your faith. Now, that's a good question to ask. And there are times as a pastor that I hear people ask this question, right? Especially when we're going through books like we've been going through in Hebrews. I remember First Peter was this way. I remember the first several um, sermons in First Peter and, like, half the church was like, I don't think I'm a Christian. Like, okay, well, now we know how to preach, right? That's a good thing. Okay, that, that's a fine thing to ask. Especially when you're confronted with these things, right? What, like last week's, like last week's text, what does normal Christian obedience look like? This is what the scripture says it looks like. Does my life look like that? Good question to ask. So the the, the mirror of scripture, when it's held up in front of you and you peer into it, you see yourself clearly for what you are, all right? We see all the imperfections. So so here's how you answer that question. Am I really a Christian? And and, and it's key to how you answer this question. So when the mirror of scripture is held up in front of you, and we hear a sermon like we did last week about what is normal Christian obedience, and does my life look like that? And as we peer in and look at the the, the mirror of scripture, and I begin to answer this question, here's perhaps will be helpful for you. Do you answer that question with a long list of spiritual accomplishments? Or do you answer the question, my hand with this, my hand is on the lamb. My hope is in Christ, alone for salvation. Now listen and follow me here. When when examining your life, in response to this question, you should see an overflow of good works and holy living. You should see that. Okay? You should see an overflow of good works and holy living. All these are good, but they are not the means to your justification. You follow me on that? They're not the means, they're the product of saving faith, not the means of saving faith. It's the fruit of justification. Good works are the fruit of justification by grace through faith in Christ alone. How is one saved? By grace through faith in Christ alone. And then the good works that have been been prepared beforehand for you to walk in begin. All right? So you may not look to a special menu, a special food menu like these in our text, but you look to things like perfect parenting, being a good spouse, being the best homeschooler, your theological knowledge, your care for the poor, your perfect Bible reading and prayer system, how good you are at your job, or even your ability to speak the truth boldly and put pagans in their place. These are all good things. They're all good things, but they are the byproducts of grace, not the means, and how easy it is for us to cross over into Bypath Meadow in these areas. And If you take Bypath Meadow, you are not only ignorant of the means of grace, but you are blocking the means of grace in your attempt. As you think about entering the Holy of Holies in time of need, boldly going before the throne, You grab all this stuff to take in with you to present before a holy God to say, this is what makes me worthy of being here. And you are, in fact, blocking the means of grace. It's like when a cat, cats are the worst, but they're, I just had to say that, Um, but when a cat, what what do cats like to bring you? They bring you dead stuff, right? Like, your cats do that, and some of you might get a real kick out of that and be like, that's so cute. I'm just like, why did you do that? I don't want that, right? Like, They bring you just a dead mouse. Gee, thanks, all right? And in the same way, we gather these things and we bring them before a holy God and we say, will this please you? And instead of allowing us entrance and grace, it's actually repulsive to God, all right? It's filthy rags. William Mason says, actually commenting on Pilgrim's Progress in Bypath Meadow, he says this, the transition into bypath is easy for it lies close to the right way. Only you must get over the style. That is, you must quit Christ imputed righteousness and trust in your own inerrant righteousness. That's how you get over. It. And then you are in bypath meadow, he says. Christian in the story falls prey to his self confidence. He forgets that he is an undeserving sinner saved by the king of the celestial city. He forgets that his heart is wicked and always prone to deceive him. Listen, following God, following your heart rather, I should say, following your heart rather than God is always going to lead to destruction. We need to make a t-shirt that says, don't follow your heart, right? These songs, people, just follow your heart. No! No! Your heart is desperately wicked and will lead you straight to destruction. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end of that way is death, the proverb says. You see, walking in bypass meadow may ease your conscience, but it cannot cleanse your conscience. And this is what the author has been saying when he's warning them not to go back to the old sacrificial system. It, it might ease your conscience. Because human beings always want to be able to add something. Holding something tangible in our hand feels much better than trusting in Christ alone. Because I'm actually doing something to earn. Versus trusting. Always wanting to pick up and present before God these things. But they can only ease the conscience. They can never cleanse it. He's already said this, the the blood of bulls and goats cannot cleanse. Only Jesus can do that. And in contrast to the new covenant, the Mosaic sacrificial system brought no real sanctification. It brought no peace to the worshiper because he says, these foods have not and cannot benefit those who are devoted to them ultimately. So stop trusting in this shadow system. Stop picking up those old things. Because we have an altar, he says. Verse 10, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest was sacrificed for sin are which were sacrificed for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. The author here has called well in Hebrews he's called Jesus many, many things, right? To help us understand his superiority and worth. Jesus is called the anchor, high priest, prophet, the king. Here he is called the altar. We have an altar. Jesus is the altar. These false teachers were devoted to a system that was dead. It was a shadow of something to come. That old system was a shadow of something to come. We've learned that in the book of Hebrews. The Old Testament altar pointed to a better altar. Christ is the altar. Christ is the prophet who declares to us our need. He is the priest. He is the altar. He is the sacrifice. He is it all. It is all him. Christ is better than all these other things. It's Christ alone. Calvin says we must acquiesce in Christ alone. We hence conclude that all who are ignorant of Christ are exposed to all the delusions of Satan. For apart from Christ there is not stability of faith but in innumerable tossing at here and there. Double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. If you do not look to Christ for the means of your justification, you are open, ever open, to the delusions of Satan. And if you are trying to tack on your sacred menu in order to make God's favor shine upon you greater, apart from Christ, you are under the delusions of Satan. Satan. Because in Christ, we have real spiritual nourishment to strengthen the soul. The most important sacrifice, and here's what he's trying to explain to them. The most important sacrifice, the day of atonement sacrifice, was a shadow of the true sacrifice, Jesus. The author is saying, you're devoted to these special sacrificial foods to strengthen you? They took those out and burned them. You you can't eat of those. How's that strengthening going for you? All this system, listen, it pointed to Jesus, don't you see? He, too, was taken outside of the camp. And he was sacrificed. And he alone can sanctify you through his blood. He did it. Atonement for sin is made possible through this once-for-all sacrifice. And he's, he's trying to get this across to them. Your food menu cannot help you. The justifying work of Christ cannot be added to. This is why we sing, and we have mentioned this hymn often through our series in Hebrews. Not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling naked. Come to thee for dress. Help us look to thee for grace. Foul I to thy fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Not wash me, Savior, plus my parenting, or plus my 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 high lofty ideas about my marriage, or my work in the community, or I die. But wash me, Savior, or I die. Amen. But then, what is that in your hand? You ever ask it like? You ever have a dog? And you're like. What's in your mouth? And then you chase them all over the neighborhood, right? Kids do the same thing. What's in your mouth? Right? And off they go. What's in your hand? What special menu are you devoted to? Are you standing at the stile, looking over the wall, coming up with all kinds of arguments as to why it's okay to take that easy path of bypath Meadow? Do you have one foot over the wall? Are you standing just on the other side? Are you resting in a false peace about your decision because you can still see the true path? It's right there. Do you feel it's okay because you see others on this path? Saying that they are also going to the celestial city? Well, it seems to be going well with them. In fact, they seem very happy and confident over there. And the grass is very green and plush. So many are persuaded by the likes of vain confidence. Maybe you're in the dark completely and you don't know how to get back. Makes me think of this song we sing, and this is the answer to this. If you're looking to get back, come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore, Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. So wherever you're at in that process, here's the truth you can look to. Hebrews 10.10, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So maybe it's condemnation that causes you to pick up these other things. Guilt, shame, whatever it is, it's self-confidence at the end of the day. Whatever whatever's pushing you that way. So here's the truth. We have an altar. Those who are in Christ have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once for all. And this word sanctified here means a status of blameless purity before a holy God. This status is conferred immediately on believers the forgiveness of sins and it qualifies them to enter God's holy presence with absolute confidence because their sins have been cleansed not in their special menu but by the blood of Christ and that truth remains the same that is our confidence our only confidence grow in spiritual maturity overflow in good works and righteous and holy living do that but the confidence that you have to stand before a holy God is the covering of his perfect son alone. And that is the thing that empowers you to do love and good works to the glory of God. That's, that's it. That's what qualifies you. It's the holy God that looks at the atoning work of Christ on your behalf. That is what it qualifies you. That's what qualifies you. So so stop bringing your little trinkets and stand firmly in Christ alone. Lift your head, you sinner. Don't droop it in shame. You have been covered by the blood of Christ. Don't pick up the old sacrificial ways. Don't try to add to some little menu as to impress your elders or impress those around you. Trust in Christ alone. And then love and good works will flow from that with joy, even in the difficult times. This truth gives the believer firm confidence that Christ's willful sacrifice has perfected, purified, and sanctified them once and for all. I'm going to say this again. This truth of what Christ has done for his elect gives the believer firm confidence that Christ's willful sacrifice because you were unwilling, but he is willing, has perfected, purified, and sanctified you once and for all. It has removed sin's stain from our conscience and enables us to draw near to a holy God in worship. What the repeated offering of the blood of bulls and goats could never do, Jesus has done fully and finally by offering his own body on the cross for us. This is our confession. This is our confidence. We talked about this in in the gospel work class. You don't get new self-worth in Christ. Why? Because you are not worthy of anything, right? But you get a new confidence. Because even though you were a wretched sinner, while you were still in your sins, Christ died for you. That's a confidence that makes you unstoppable. So you don't have to take identity in your work or in, in whatever else. Because your identity is in Christ as he gives you a new confidence. Christ has loved a sinner such as me. What the author is trying with the last ink of his pen here to say is that Christ is better than anything you could manufacture on your own. Hodge says the hope of the hypocrite is like a spider's web. The hope of the believer is an anchor to his soul sure and steadfast. You feel like you're trying to pull all these things in order to, to, to get God's favor as a means of justification. What altars are you sacrificing at? Not too far down the street, in my neighborhood, I have in a quite a liberal neighborhood, um, there is one house that is a plethora of signs to all, it's like Athens, signs to all the gods, right? All the gods are out there because he's afraid that he's going to get canceled um, and piss somebody off. And so he's got all these signs out there, and it's just, it's a literal spider's web of offerings, making sure he's got everything covered so that he can feel that he is justified. Why, are we, why do your elders talk so much about, like, the LBGTQ stuff or, like, the woke stuff or, like, the, um, the um, LGBTQ affirming stuff in the churches? It's because alt, it's damnable heresy. It's not true love. And at the end of the day, it's the same thing. It's people trying to earn their salvation through love, right? Well, God is love, right? Look at what Jesus did. And at the end of the day, it's just simply pimping out those people. They don't care about them. They care about their self and the sacrifice offered up as a means of justification for the culture and all of this crap. That's why we address that, because it's the same thing just reinvented, and it will be the same thing in a hundred years, rising up under a different banner with a new face of makeup. A spider's web, but the hope of the believer is an anchor to his soul, sure and steadfast. Sure and steadfast. We have this altar. We have this anchor. Jesus is better. He's superior. So our response should be this. Our response, since the author does this often, I mean, the, the writers of Scripture do this. Now in light of this, do this. Our response to such a gracious gift must be a life of worship offered in gratitude, reverence, and all nothing less than full devotion to christ that's what is required that's what is expected here's here's how paul says it and i like the way he says it in the king james version romans 12 1 i beseech you therefore brothers I, i appeal to you brothers by what the mercies of god look at the mercies of god That you, in light of that, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, your rational service. This is the only rational, reasonable response to such love, right? It's a life of full devotion to Christ, reasonable, rational service. God desires worshipers who offer him authentic, heartfelt, radically lived out obedience and devotion to him because they are grounded upon this truth. Christ Jesus died for sinners of whom I am the foremost and he has cleansed me and because of his blood I can enter the holy place because of Christ alone I am secure. Christ is our reasonable service. That's, That's our second point. Christ is a reasonable service. Verse 13 of our text. Therefore, what's the response to this? He's saying to those who are tempted to fall into um, these uh, uh, diverse and strange teachings, fall prey to those who are peddling them. What's the response to such a, um, a gift? You have the real altar. They have a shadow thing. Christ, the substance you have, they have the shadow. Leave that behind. Trust in Christ. What's the response? Let us go to him outside the camp, and bear the reproach that he endured. First, go to him. The psalm, again, I will rise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me in his arms. Every time you have a, a decision before you to confess and walk in faith and repentance, that is what you are doing. You are rising and going to Jesus. Going to Jesus and he has promised that if we walk in that faith and repentance that he will embrace us in his arms. So the application is the application is so simple. It's hard to do, but it's so simple. We must empty our hands of our self-justification, cast down our self-righteousness, kill our pride and run to Jesus outside the camp. What did Jesus tell his disciples? If anyone would come after me, let him what? Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. I saw this Instagram post recently that said, um, love yourself so fiercely that when others see you, they know exactly how it should be done. This is such hot garbage. I might have just put a flame and a trash can emoji on that post, maybe. Now, what, see, here's what's happening, though. It's a clever, they're trying to be clever about the second greatest commandment, about loving people. They're trying to be clever about that. Love your neighbor as yourself. But the problem is, is that they forgot to mention the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. It should read, love God so fiercely that no one sees you at all. <laughs> they just see him. And listen, this may seem like, like why, do you, why are you picking on that for, pastor? Like, that seems like so harmless. No, listen, this seems harmless, but this diverse and strange teaching of self-love and self-confidence is being celebrated in our churches today. And it is the, it is the, the style by which people cross over into Bypass Meadow. And it leads to destruction. Right? No, no 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 nobody can tell me what to do. The scripture can't tell me what to do because I'm just so special. <laughs> Jesus left heaven after all to come and get me because he was lonely in heaven. Right? That's also hot garbage. No. Listen, the church is the bride of Christ, right? And the only fitting response to the love of the bridegroom is forsaking all others to be faithful to him. That's what you say if you did the old school, um, the old school, what are they called? Vows? Yeah. If I married you, I didn't let you write your own, by the way. Um, I'll do them for you. You said, forsaking all others, I will be faithful. And that's the only fitting, reasonable response. And, and, and Pastor Matt will unpack more of that in the following verses next week of, of what it looks like. To worship God in this way. But, but unless you understand that the means of your justification is in Christ alone, you, you won't be able to do what's coming next week. Be faithful unto Him, starting with yourself. When it comes to the supremacy of Christ, self is public enemy, number one, every time. So, what do you need to forsake? What what do you need to lay down? If you stay in the camp, you will die. If you look to the old sacrificial system or try to tack it on to Jesus, you will die. You must fly to Christ. You must not bring anything in your hands either. And you must not look back like Lot's wife did. Jesus says those who put their hand to the plow and look back aren't fit for the kingdom of heaven. Don't bring anything in your hand. You must quit self-justification. Or, as we've already heard, if you don't quit self-justification, you must quit Christ-imputed righteousness and trust in your own inerrant righteousness, which will lead you to destruction. You can't do both. So what are you unwilling to let go of? What are you white-knuckle holding on to right now, right now? What is running through your mind right now? Those who know you best. You should have the courage, by the way, if you know that somebody is holding white knuckle to something, to, in love, call them to repentance on that and show them that their justification is in Christ alone. What are you looking to? What what are you adding to your menu? When it comes to justification, again, justification, the means... There's two kinds of people when we begin to think about what justifies me. What is the basis of my atonement? What is my right before a holy God? There's two kinds of people, and Jesus gives us this example in Luke 18. You can go read the entirety of it on your own, but I'm going to read you these, uh, these men's prayers. Two men went up to pray, up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like this other man, or like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I, fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other one. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Which one are you? As you you think about the confidence that you need to make yourself feel as if you were a Christian, what do you do? Do do Is your response, God be merciful to me, a sinner? My hand is on the lamb, that's why I do good works? Or is it in a long list of your accomplishments? As we close, he's calling us to go to Jesus, and he's also calling us to bear his reproach. Okay, you got a fly to Jesus. And you're like, that sounds wonderful, but there's more. It's hard to do that because you're going to have to suffer persecution for that and bear reproach, as our Savior did. We were reminded We were reminded here again that this, this is worth it, but it won't be easy. 2 Timothy three twelve, Paul encourages Timothy with this. He says, indeed, all who desire to live godly lives... In Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You're going to suffer reproach. One commentator said, those who do not trust in Christ's atoning sacrifice, whether priest or lay folk, have no right to eat from this altar of Christ. No permission to draw spiritual benefit from his death. If the original hearers were to maintain their affections, and affiliations with Jesus and his people, they would risk reproach and exclusion from the Jewish community in which they were once welcome. But that loss is more than counterbalanced by the benefits flowing from Jesus' shed blood on the cross, atonement, forgiveness, cleansing, confident access into the holy place, and fellowship with the living God. Like, they felt this for real. They would be ostracized. They would be cut off from family, All right? Some of you have faced this same thing. Our church has faced this same thing. So, so maybe, listen, maybe you don't have any problem emptying your hands to go to Jesus. You're like, that's fine, I'll do that. But maybe what keeps you from going to him is that you're afraid of the reproach that you will have to endure. What will people say? What friends will I lose? What opportunities might I miss out on? On this, Spurgeon says, What is meant then, dear friends, by this going forth without the camp? I understand it, first of all, to mean this, that every Christian is to go forth by an open profession of his faith. You that love the Lord are to say so. You must come out and avow yourselves on his side. Christ's separation was in order that his people might be separated. The head is not of the world, and shall its members be? The head is despised and rejection rejected. Shall the members be honored? Christ's separation is the type and symbol of the separation. Of all God's elect. So, every Christian, this is what you have to do by an open profession of faith. You that love the Lord are to say so, avow yourself to his side. Jesus said, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and his holy angels. Being ashamed of Jesus means to deny any link with him. And it's the opposite of acknowledge him, acknowledging him as your savior. This is what Peter did. I don't know the man. Unwillingness to suffer reproach for the sake of Christ is to be ashamed of him. To be ashamed of him is the same as denying him. It's The same as denying him. That's what led Peter to say, I don't know him. The shame, the reproach the fear that what was happening to Jesus would happen to him. And and it did. Jesus, after his resurrection, told him it would. It's not easy. There are crosses to bear and hard roads to follow on the straight and narrow and lions to face and giants to fight. It's not easy, but it's worth it. And God has given you everything you need to walk in life and godliness. And all around us, we see people with their hands stuffed full with self-justification, sacrificing at the cultural altars of our day, mocking the faithfulness of God's people. And here's what I have to say to that. Let them laugh. Let them laugh. Let them leave one-star reviews. Let them gossip, slander, threaten, and when they do, we should just chuckle and say, your mocking is sweet music to my ears. Why? Because my reward is great in heaven, and I am in the company of the prophets and my Savior. Our endurance for such hardship is the foundation. Our endurance for such hardship is, is on this foundation, I should say. Realizing that the kingdom of this world is a mere temporary dwelling. It's no lasting city, he says here in our text. The kingdom of this world will be shaken to the core. The kingdom of God, and all that pertains to it, will be unshakable and last forever. So when the going gets tough, there is grit that you need to apply, the tough get going, but Hebrews 12, 2 reminds us of this. That we are to, when it gets hard, look to Jesus, run to Jesus, go to Jesus, outside the camp, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised what? The shame, the reproach. He despised it and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So Christ is our only hope. Christ is our reasonable service. And lastly, Christ, our eternal reward. For here we have no lasting city, verse 14, but we seek the city that is to come. In the arms of my dear Savior, oh, there are, what, 10,000 charms. In the midst of our reproach, in the midst of our hardships, we look to the lasting city that is to come, knowing that in the arms of our dear Savior, there are charms that we cannot even imagine. And we are participants of those things now, recipients of those things now, regardless of what people say, regardless of what we lose, our reward is in Christ. One commentator said this, there thus remains only one thing to do. And so the writer exhorts us. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For we have no lasting city, but we seek the city to come. The cities of the earth All earthly institutions will fall apart. Only the heavenly Zion will remain. We must go, flee to him outside the camp, and willfully embrace his reproach. For such an act is worth doing a million times over. Thus, Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, becomes our constant meal our food our drink our life and we through him will receive grace upon grace upon grace so empty your hands run to christ take up your cross and find life you've heard me say this before trust the process it is so hard in those moments to i think pastor matt said this in a sermon when these jewish christians would have seen their fellow countrymen Going with offerings in their hand, that would have been hard for them. I want to be able to take something in my hand to make me feel as if I am righteous before a holy God. But, But the process, the means by which God has ordained that we are justified and reconciled to a holy God are sure and true and can be trusted. The confession has not changed, nor will it. Trust the process. Trust it in the the times when you feel condemnation. Tell the enemy, yes, I am a sinner, but Jesus came into the world to save sinners. In times of weariness and reproach, know that Christ is better. Trust the process. It is sound. It is sound. I was watching the movie Gods and Generals last night, and Robert E. Lee, I'll probably get canceled for quoting Robert E. Lee, um, but Robert E. Lee said uh, to his men as they were getting ready uh, for, for Fredericksburg, all the generals were there, they had the battlements set. There was nothing else they could do. They were ready. And he said, Gentlemen, these deployments are sound. The rest is in God's hands. But we could say, as for God, his way is perfect, right? Like God's deployments, God's system is sound. Therefore, we can rest, rest in his hands. And go with joy and do good works to the glory of his great name. Suffer whatever comes our way to the glory of his great name. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. It is proven. When you lift your hands and they are empty, it is a proven truth to stand on that Christ is your covering. Christ is your covering. He is what? A shield to all those who trust in him. And to this, God's people say, amen. amen. Let's take a moment of silence as the, as the band comes up just to start scratching off, ripping up, tearing down, casting down those special food menus that you like to look to when you want justification. Confess your sin and repent and look to Christ alone.